Welcome to Taking the Helm with Lynn McLaughlin. In this ever-changing world, it's essential to prioritize our children's emotional well-being. Lynn can show you how to learn and model healthy emotional habits for your loved ones and become a rock-solid support system for your family. Now, here's your host. Good day, and thank you for joining us again. Last week was so interesting because we had Kelsey Timiak and Julia Rutgers with us, and they are child and youth practitioners. They have their own private practice, which is almost unheard of. It's another way and another option for us to offer mental health services to our children, our youth, and our adults. If you're currently thinking about going into one of these programs or are a graduate or about to graduate from one of these programs, you might want to consider going into private practice. I am very excited to welcome Foss Ruggiero here. His professional career spans almost 40 years. He's a published research author, a clinical trainer, and a therapist who has worked in settings that have included clinics for deaf children, prisons, nursing homes, substance abuse centers, inpatient facilities, and major corporations, both national and international. As the president of the Community Psychological Center in Bangor, Pennsylvania, in that capacity, he's also developed the Process Way of Life Counseling Program. It helps clients address the various conditions that were affecting their lives. Welcome, welcome, Faust. It's fantastic to have you join us. Lynn, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Oh, our pleasure and our honor. All right. So our listeners are eager to learn about your fascinating work. What led you to choose your current path and what personal experiences have shaped that passion for what you're doing today? You know, Lynn, sometimes you you choose your path in life. Sometimes it's it feels like it's, you know, it's already predetermined. It kind of chooses you. That's me. I I'm just a person. I think I was born to be in service of other people. I I still after well over 40 years, love to hear people talk. I love to meet them and connect and, and you know, do all those things. And uh, and in, in that I have the skill set to be able to help them through some of these things that they're dealing with. That just makes it that much more rewarding. Well, and we can deal with it and we can overcome. And it, it is about our way of thinking, isn't it? Uh, I wouldn't say all of the time, but a lot of the time. It is, you know, um, things are going to happen. That is, it's a dynamic world where ne- that's never going to change. So somewhere along the line, we we train ourselves to be able to, you know, interpret the information correctly, and then you know, work some of these processes uh, I'm talking about to, to to you know to help yourself through these things. And it's not it's not rocket science, so to speak. It's not you know something that's out there and some people just have and the rest of us never get it. We all have it. We just have to learn how to do it. That's all. So you and I talked, um, I always do uh, a get to know you call everyone with uh, with my guests before we jump on and do our, our live interview, just so you know, I can better understand where people are coming from and do my own research. And Foss, you know that this show and, and my passion is about being proactive and giving people the tools they need before they have symptoms or say, aha, I have to look into that. And all of your experience after all of these years and what you've been doing really does say to me, and that's why I've invited you to be on the show, that the things that you're teaching people and helping them learn today can absolutely be taught to children. Always, you know, and and you know, we start with the parents, you know, I always say it's, it, you know, we're the ones delivering all this stuff to our kids, we really have to have our act together. Um, so, you know, we, we look at what we need to do. And then we start teaching it. The more information, it's, it's two things. It's inf- kids having information and support and all those things. The other thing is it's teaching the next generations to understand the processes that are involved. This, this ability to, you know, look at information, uh, to, to interpret that and then to move forward and use it properly. And we don't teach those things. We're a very quick fix society. You know, we, we wait for the symptom and then we go fix it really fast and we move to the next thing. And it never really, it's, we never alleviate the, the cause of the problem. So I like to teach people what to do to think about anything that comes up in their life. Not only when they're with me, it's going to keep on happening. I'm not going to see them all, you know, forever. So let's get you good about dealing with what uh, with whatever comes along. What do you say to people to who uh, who have the oh, I guess the attitude of hey, it worked for me. I didn't talk about my feelings. I didn't deal with any of this stuff. I dealt with information just fine, and look how I turned out. Why why is that not working anymore? I I, I find that the best way to deal with folks like that is to keep on asking questions. Really? Well, how did you deal with it? 
you know, well, tell me more about that. And they will stumble. They'll, they will trip themselves. And then at that point, either they have to deal with the embarrassment or the, or the anger, whatever it is, uh, when that, uh, when that happens, or they say, well, why, what are you looking to do? Then I say, oh, I'm glad you asked. And I go into what I do. Now, they're never, if, if I can get those folks to change 20% of it, wonderful. You mm-hmm. know, if, in other words, if you just get them thinking, what you just asked is why it happens. They're not going to do the work. They're not going to hear new information. They're not going to uh, become humble enough, if you will, to say, all right, you may have something that works and I don't have that. They don't want that. So I, the easiest way is to say, good, tell you, you tell me, you teach me. And they will, you know, I used to say it gets about three questions deep and then they say, huh? <laughs> then we go from there. <laughs> well, and I think you kind of said it as you were as you were introducing the topic about the information, right? The information that we have around us 24-7 is very different than when we were growing up, right? Oh my goodness, yes. You know, uh, I always tell the story of the the when I coach soccer, the kid that, you know, like everyone else was wearing their pants halfway down. <laughs> and I I, you know, finally, why don't you get those up? And he looked at me and says, You don't understand. We our minds don't work that way. You guys trained yourself to have it around your waist. We're kind of lower, and if we pull it up, everything feels wrong. And it clicked. I said, "This is they're processing differently," and I'm trying to teach with my old methods. So guess what? The the, the teacher has to go back and be the student constantly. And if you're going to be a parent, that doesn't mean you have to acquiesce to what they're doing and say, okay, fine, I'm going to do it your way. It just means you understand it so that you can see how they function. Then you can put your, you know, your experience and and, and the way you're doing things into the picture, but they're not going to hear it until you get to the way they're processing. It's, you know, it's sort of like the old days where we had a a kid that had a, uh, you know, a learning disability, as they call them. And they're, they're processing differences is all they are. Mm-hmm. Once you learn how the kid processes, you can teach. It's the same thing in parenting. We have to keep up with how they're processing, but we have to remain the teacher. We don't, we don't give in to that. I, I love what you just said about students with learning disabilities. It's a huge passion of mine. Special education was my entire yeah. career. But, you know, I, I also think about, okay, so, you know, as people, as individuals, if we actually take that hat, hat off and put it in our careers, when we start our career 10 years later, we're doing it very differently. 20 years later, we're doing it very differently. 30 years, because things changed. Um, everything changes around us. So how can we possibly think that the way we were parented is still okay today? I'm just going to ask that question. Feel free to call in anybody. With it's that a very in. important question. <laughs> you know, I, I get uh, what, what looks like simple questions from parents, which which I open the door for huge discussions. I call my kid on the phone. They live in another state. Oh, I was so busy. I, I couldn't get back to you. And we know the phone is on their hip. So, <laughs> you know, so and I and I'm telling them, let's use that to understand how they're uh, how they're thinking about things. That's why our, our ways were very good at that time. Yes. You know, uh, I mean, I was born as you when computers weren't around, you <laughs> know, and all of my kids, on the other hand, grew up with them. That information, that information processing alone sets the stage for something so different. They have information, you know, that they're getting at, at 10 or 11 or 12 that we didn't get to. We were in our 20s. And they have it quickly. And you know, so, so, you know, when they're, I would call it kind of, I would say a microwave learning society. They go fast. Everything is fast. Mm-hmm. We didn't do that. So you don't have to go fast because you're not going to, you know. Um, but what you have to do is learn how to understand what they're doing and then bring it into your realm. Once you, once you understand it, you can bring it right back into all your experiences and go back to your parenting. But, you know, it's, it's just a new thing that you have to have to learn and then keep up with all the time. And mm-hmm. it goes fast. That's the problem. We don't go fast. They that's their normal speed. That's <laughs> okay. it. That's just what they do. That's how fast their minds are working. It is about developing new behaviors and new, you know, new ways of doing things for mm-hmm. us too. And then once it becomes normalized and routine for us, it's a lot easier, right? It is. You know, <laughs> and, and and the other thing is. You don't try to catch up with everything. 
because you're not going to. I'm in my 60s. I'm not going to catch up with the kid in his, who's 15. You know, I, but what I'm going to do is connect. Once I get them to connect, they're willing to talk about what they what what you know what's going on and how they're doing it. And I can explain a few things. And then that there's an information exchange. But I have to get that connection. Parents are missing that right now because they're they're just going too fast. They're letting it fly past them. They get frustrated, throw their hands up. And if they get through the day, that's great. And, I, you know, your kids should be the most, you know, the most interesting people in your life. You, you have a young person developing right in front of you. Yeah. And you get to be part of that. How much better can it be? And that's that very point is what they don't want. That's you know? yeah, true. <laughs> it's not going to be easy. It's not the old days. It doesn't go slow. But they'll appreciate it when they get older, when they get older. So people who are listening now, I think we've caught them. Yeah. All right. Anybody who is hesitant, oh, do I really want to hear this? Let's move. And we are all human. We all make mistakes. But the fact that we're here listening and want to learn and do things differently, I think, is is a first step. I want to ask you, uh, Faust, about time, right? Because as you said, some people are working three jobs, four jobs, and the routine or the scheduling that we have for our kids, which I think we're becoming more in tuned about. How much time do we really need to be spending with our children, you know, in a focused one-to-one or small group time every day? It is not six hours. No. If, <laughs> if the key is to establish the connection, if you and I establish connection and we say, hey, once, a, once every couple of weeks, we're going to talk for five or 10 minutes, we keep that going. It's the same thing with parenting. It's establishing the connection. And then, and then if you, at the end of every day, if you can, you spend five or 10 minutes eye to eye listening, uh, wonderful. We have the time to spend with the kids. You know, we think, we, we talk about the kids who are wrapped up in electronics and social media. The parents are there too. The parents right now are, are 20s and 30s, basically, who have these kids. They're computer aged parents. They brought up in this. They're going on social media two hours a day, and they're saying, my kids don't connect with me. <clears throat> they're not going to if you had electronics going on in front of you. I mean, when we were kids, the TV was on. What did our parents say? Turn that off. I have to talk to you. I mean, that was a distraction. You didn't do something else while someone was talking to you. Today, that's commonplace. So we as parents have to say, let me put all this stuff down. I'm working two jobs, three jobs. Is it because I've got to pay the bills? Or I want the vacation, or I want the new car. You know, I have people coming in with, uh, you know, who who make seventy or eighty thousand dollars a year, but they've got twenty five hundred dollar a month mortgages, and they're uh, funding two new cars that are six or seven hundred dollars a month. So I said, by the time you guys are done, it's all this extra stuff, all this looking good, all that. If that's what you're working two jobs for, eh, it's kind of uh, neglectful for your kids. And, yeah, uh, it's about it's about making a conscious choice that this is going to be a priority for me every single day. And I, I guess I would can, I can state you can still chase those other dreams, those other passions of yours. But if you put your kids in the front seat, things will change. They will change. You know, I had four kids, and I I and I you know I worked out and did all the things that parents do, but I took them with me. <clears throat> now, does that mean I got a workout that was as good as it could be? No. But I'm able to do that, kept myself healthy. I, I, I was involved with them. Uh, you know, I didn't go out with the boys and do whatever guys do at night. I was coaching I don't, like 30 some teams as we, <laughs> by the time we got out of the kids got out of school. But I spent the time because it's not just coaching them. It's practicing with them alone. It's, it's driving to and from games and not just talking about games. What are you guys into? What's happening in school? Do I have captive audience at that point? So yes, I love being of, in the car. Whenever right. I wanted to have one of those conversations, it was, yep, we're going somewhere. Let's go. <laughs> you got it. They're not jumping out. No. <laughs> so the, and the, because I'm, that communication becomes open and, and more of a natural thing. And, and that's the key. You, yeah. you make it natural. You make it a routine. You know, um, it's not a, how is your day? Good. Will anything happen? No, it's just routine. And then the conversation's over. And what do we say? Well, the kids don't talk to us. Well, not in that venue. No, my, this is where you sit down and say, you know, grab something to eat, sit down and, and do something. You know, they don't run in the house. I know, you know my friend's online and we're going to play video games. And I'm, my, you know, with my kids, they didn't get cell phones. So they were 
teenagers. Mm -hmm. I didn't have video games in the house till that time. And then at that point, if they wanted to play, they got a half hour, an hour a day. And then and then we went outside and we played basketball or threw the ball around or kicked the soccer ball, whatever it was. So they really didn't. None of my kids have grew up with a passion for electronics like that. Uh, none of them really played video games because I never really made it part of their lives early. I think I, there's I a lot of research now. The pendulum is starting to swing back. We're more aware. I think we forgot a lot about childhood development, right? Pre five years old, my God, the, it's the experiences that teach kids, you know, what I like to do, what I don't like to do, the and communication and understanding the norms <laughs> of, of, you know, what's right and what's wrong and developing our principles, our belief systems. It's so, so important. And so when they're on video games and on technology, they're losing that developmental time. And I, I love, I'm, gonna, I'm actually a, an invitation, anyone who's involved in the wait to eight program, cell phones should not be in the hands of kids before the uh, in, before they're in grade eight. And there are individual circumstances, of course, um, that may, you know might make that look differently. But once we introduce technology to our children, a phone is a phone, it does not need to be a phone with five social media apps. When children learn to be well, and I mean emotionally well, they will understand what I like, what I'm letting into my world, what I'm not letting into my world, what I'm getting involved in in that social media thing. So I, I love the recommendations of you start by a phone and they learn how to manage that phone properly when it's on, when it's off, when it's not involved at the family table or whatever you're doing for that time that you're going outside. And then introducing one app, and that might app be a communication app. It might be only that. And by the time they're 16 years old or so, they have they know all the threats. They know the bots. They know the the predators that are out there. They've learned all that and can manage the, that tech in a in a way that is meaningful to them, but doesn't take over their lives. And that's what's happening with too many of our kids right now. You know, I've always said to parents that you know I kind of divide them in in, in two groups. The first one, you know, are the people who really want to be parents and they fight nothing about it kids come first then there are the other ones that go along with it but it's kind of like oh, i gotta do this now okay fine let's go kids pick up on that really quick yes yeah you know, i remember coming home from we, we went to I'm, I'm, i live in pennsylvania we live went down to virginia for a uh, a tournament for the weekend and of course drove down the hotels and the whole deal while i had the tournament and came back on a sunday night at about we got in about five Unpacked in a few things. And about six o'clock, one of my kids who felt he didn't do quite as good as he should have said, can you come outside and kick the soccer ball around with me and play goalie? And I'm thinking to myself, I just wrote, you know, <laughs> did, did all this stuff, drove six hours, did all this. He wants to play soccer. Let's go. Come on, let's go. That's fine. Because either you're going to be kid first or you're not. And that doesn't mean doing things their way and giving in real quick. It means looking at it and saying, okay, what do I need to do? And that's what I did. What do I need to do right now? Do I need to say, no, come on, sit down, relax. A lot of parents would, or do I need hit? What's he really asking me? He wants to kick the ball around. <clears throat> he wants to fix a little something and he needs the nurturance to say, you're doing great. He didn't quite feel as much as he, you know, even though we said all that, he didn't feel. So what did he really need? And that's a, a, a thing I tell parents. Ask yourself, what are they really asking for? What's this behavior really mean right now? And if you slow down enough to think about it and you're willing to put yourself into it, it doesn't matter whether you fix it. The fact that you were present, that fixed it. Because it's a, it's a marathon, as we say. It's, it's them seeing it all the time. You know, we may not get the solution, but you know what? The solution sometimes isn't that little fix. The solution was I needed you. I needed you at that moment. That was my solution. And every time I, I, you know, I feel something, I know I got a safety net. I know you're my safety net and I can come right to you and you're not going to judge. You may tell it the way it is and I may not want to hear it, but I know you are tuned in and you are loving me and hearing me and, 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 and giving me the best you can. That's, that's what this is all about. Yeah. And that invitation to come on out and shoot, uh, shoot the ball around with me. It goes both ways too. When you, when you invite your child or your children to join you, you know, we used to have mom special days in my family and, you know, and uh, yeah, I was a, I was a superintendent of education for Pete's sakes, a school principal before that. My husband was a police officer. It was tough to find that time. 
We took our kids camping and I'm not saying we did everything right. Trust me. Trust me. My daughter developed anxiety later in her life, despite everything we did. Um, oh, and that's a whole other top. That's an entire podcast interview. <laughs> uh, actually, I wrote a book about it, but that's it. Yeah, we didn't do everything right. Um, but uh, there's no guilt now. There's 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 yeah, I did. We did what we knew about back in those days. We took kids. We took our kids camping four or five, six times a year. Wonder why my kids aren't living anywhere near me now. They're around the world because we introduced them to traveling. I take some credit for that. And that's okay. I guess I'm I'm kind of going off on a tangent here and that we just, if we give back that time to them and they see us as I want you with me right now, it's not just them extending the invitation to us to have time. You know, one of my kids said to me, <clears throat> one, one, uh, one of his friends, they, they, were, they were 13, 14 by then, wanted him to go more places with him. He said, I kind of felt guilty not being around you. I was going to say, dad, I want to go here instead. And I said, you know what, that, that you express that wonderful, go have a good time. And I'm here. Uh, you, and you're right. Uh, there are times I'm sitting you know, in my office or whatever. And uh, I have 20 minutes or a half hour and I'll say, let's go do this. Or I'm running an errand. Come on with me. Yeah. That I wanted them to be there all the time. That invitation always open. They knew it. So I, and I'm not doing that. I am not saying I wanted to be their best friend. That is not what I'm, I am their dad. And that's, that's the relationship. But their dad said, come on, let's go. And the conversation is usually great in the car. Or sometimes I say, now that I got you about that thing last night, and we're going to go through it. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. The key is this, that they know I'm there. And 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 my kids range in age from almost 30 to, thir- to 35, and the four of them. And I still check in, you know, hmm. and, and like you, I've, I've, one lives with me yet. Three of them are out of the house and in different places across the country. And I check in. And I say, let's FaceTime today so I could look at you, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was on WhatsApp with my son last week and he called and it was on, I said, turn on the video. <laughs> He's in Australia too far away. Turn on the video. I want to see your beautiful face. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I just want to add a little, and if your kids decline and they say, no, thanks. I want to do this right now. Then that's okay. They've still heard you. Yeah. And, and, and that's the key. Funny you exactly. said that I had one that I went to grad school in Australia so, you know, that 18 hour time difference or whatever that was. So, you know, <laughs> there were times when, you know, it was like uh, one in the morning or whatever. You're going to stay up to talk. What? Why would I not? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I said, yeah, you're down there. If that's when I'm going to see you. That's great. Or if you're up one day, you know, you're studying and it's one on one o'clock in the morning on your time, then shoot me a text or a, or a call and say, hey, do you have time? And if I do, and they know, if I do, yeah, yes, yeah. obviously. And and you speak from the context of the clients that you're working with, and you and you can see that these are the issues that they're facing, right? There, I we've got a lot of listeners that want to help, that that want to make a change, or saying, or actually saying, "Hey, wow, I got it right. I'm doing it right. Thanks for validating that I'm on the right track." And and absolutely, and and a lot of you are listeners are, are on the right track. You just don't know it because you don't get the feedback. You don't get your kids don't say what a great job you're doing. <laughs> How true. <laughs> but what I would say, a thing I would tell people is, even if you think you're off track and you want to pull the kids in, if you're going to start this and you don't have it where you want it, you're going to get some pullback. You're going to get some resistance. Keep doing it. And if you must, this is where you have to pull rank and say, wait a minute. We need some time together. We need to get back. I need to, you know, know more about you. I'm not looking to pry into your personal life. I want to connect. And we're going to do that. And eventually, the, the, the resistance stops. And then they say, yep. Uh, and and, you're, and the friends say, well, can we go there at 4? No, uh, you know, 4.30 maybe. I got to be with my mom or dad at that. And they just get used to it. And you're going to have that uh, that pushback. Don't worry about it. It's normal. You are you're trying to institute something that doesn't exist. So you know you're going to cut down the weeds until you get to the to, to, to the new playing field. That's okay. <laughs> cut down the weeds. Don't you know? Again, you know. I I, I remember sitting on my on my uh, deck in the back of the house oh thirty years ago when the kids were small and asking myself how do I want them to look back and remember me? What kind of dad? Do I want them to remember? And that question changed my life because then I said, okay, I want this. But in order to have that, 
I have to do all these things. Either you're in or you're not. So it's, and whether it's marriage counseling, I'll tell a parent you want to be a partner. Either you're all the way in or you're not. If you're raising kids and you want to really have that relationship and do it right, then get all the way in. That's that's your first step. And no, resi- no parental resistance. You know, you you, ha- you you brought them into the world, I assume, because you want to love them and teach them and grow with them. That's a beautiful way for us to move in to break. But when we come back, we hope you'll stay with us, everyone. Uh, I spoke a little bit about anxiety. We've got a lot of kids, a lot of youth, children and youth, teenagers suffering from anxiety today. No one wants this for their child. And, you know, some of those signs at the beginning can be easy to miss. I'm guilty of that. I missed it. I waited for the symptoms. We're going to talk about that and we'll be back in a moment. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. (laughs) Our children are growing up in a world that is more complex than ever. It's time to start thinking proactively. Meet Zerko and the children who glow in the color they are feeling because they haven't learned to control their emotions yet. In the Power of Thought Children's series, we're not only teaching children about emotional vocabulary, but how to recognize how they are feeling and what they can do about it. We live on an imaginary planet called Tezra, where every character is named after a crystal. Each of the five books in the series takes children into a situation they can relate to, but teaches problem-solving skills and evidence-based strategies they can use for life. This series was developed in collaboration with clinicians, educators, parents, and guardians, and it's the winner of the Mom's Choice Award. Check it out at lynnmclaughlin.com under the Books tab. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. You are listening to Taking the Helm with Lynn McLaughlin. Have a question for Lynn or her guests? Join us on the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Now, back to the show. And we're back with Foss Ruggiero. And we're going to jump in now with anxiety because we've talked about this in the past. We wait for symptoms. But I now know that my child, my my daughter was a difficult birth. She had RSV when she was three months old. She was on treatments at home for many, many months. She went to the hospital many, many times and eventually was diagnosed with childhood asthma. But how can we be proactive and think about, okay, something has just happened. Is this something that could potentially become debilitating for my child, cause increased anxiousness and worry? How do we put our eyes on that? You know, that's what everyone tries to do. And my response to them is, unless you are really, really educated about it, you won't. Now we're back to that connecting. We, we have to know who our children are. In psychology, we call it our baseline behaviors and what you see in your kids every day. Now you get to know them. If you're spending a lot of time, enough time with them, you'll know what that is, their baseline, their normal way of behaving. If they deviate from that, then you question, okay, what's up? Well, you're a little different today. Now they're they may or may not even know it's occurring. They may say, no, I'm not. And that's when you say, well, here's what I'm seeing. This is how, what you normally are. This is, this is exactly what I'm seeing different. And I need to, you know, sometimes when you tell them that, then the light bulb goes on, or sometimes they walk away thinking, and then, you know, mom or dad is, you know, seeing these things. I can go back there. It's a, And you don't get it just like as we were saying before the break, you don't get this unless you get you learn to, who your children are. You spend time with them and, and, and you understand how they think and how they feel and how they behave. Now you can look for differences. And, and that's what we do with everyone. It could be an employee. You know, they're the same way every day. All of a sudden they're quiet or they're they're Maybe they they're a little late or this didn't get done or isolating themselves and you may you may go and say what's up you're a little different they're not going to tell you you're the boss they're not going to tell you anything but you're going to at least say well i'm here 
and I see that something's a little bit different. I got you. I got your back if you need me. However, it's up to you to come. But I do see some things that are different. That's all you got to do. Yeah. And you open up the ability for them to come to you without judgment or fear of exactly. being fired or terminated or let go or any of those other kinds of things. Yeah. Right. But, but I want to go back to the what you were saying about that open communication when you notice something is different with your child. They very often, depending upon their, their you know, how old they are, their developmental level, all those kinds of things, aren't even going to be able to realize that something's off with them. Yeah, they could probably say, yeah, yeah, I'm a little bit nervous going to school, but maybe they can't say why. Maybe they can, right? Or, yeah, I used to be able to do that, but I'm not feeling so confident about it anymore. It, it, it opens up the door, like you said, for them to walk away, even think about it. And then that conversation can carry on. We all would love to have that one person we can talk to. And, and what's the key word? Safe. It's mm-hmm. safe. I can bring it out. You may tell me some things I'm not. No, I don't. I don't like so much, but it's safe. I'm not getting judged. I'm not getting put down. I'm not being told there's something wrong with me or whatever it may be. I, I I'm, you know, I always tell people maintain that eye contact with them when they're talking, uh, and simply say, I, I'm here. There's no judgment. You know, if there's a problem, let's talk about it. Kids today don't have the boundaries and the role. Uh, the role structure we had, you know, we were this or this or this. I mm-hmm. I always tell the story about, you know, when we got sneakers, when we were kids, we had about three choices. And, yeah, you know, true. it was it was high tops, low tops, black, white. If you were really lucky, you got a red pair. And you know, and, and we were thrilled because that, that was it. Today, there are a thousand choices and nobody's happy with what they got because there's too much information going mm-hmm. in. Go back to too what we were talking choices. about at the beginning. Yeah. They're not locked into things sexuality and gender and all those sorts of things don't have boundaries anymore. Uh, kids are trying to search for their label, as they call it. All We have pronouns. We have all. This is a very confusing world. So it's got to be made safe. Hey, this is our yeah. house. Whatever you say here stays with us. You can talk to me about anything. It's got to be safe. And if you start telling your kids, let, let's do that, they will resist because it's not safe yet. But keep going, I'm, you know, and keep telling them, I'm, you know, I'm here and, you know, you seem to be a little off. You're down, you're isolating, you're nervous, you're, you're, you're angry, you're reacting. Be prepared for this. When you tell them that, they're going to say it's because of and give something outside of themselves. You did this or my brother or sister or dad or whatever. They're going to give you that. The teacher at school, anything, they're going to do anything to get off the subject. What they tell you initially is often not not as important as establishing the safe place. It's what we do in counseling. I don't just dive right into what in the world's wrong with you. Uh, that first <laughs> session is bonding. It's no. it's setting that time up where where it's safe and 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 getting that rapport. And that's what you want to do with your kids. Don't worry about solving anything. Get the rapport. It's a safe place. They can talk about what they need to talk about with you. That's all. That's your first step in being pro, uh, proactive in these in these matters. Isn't it just as important for us as parents to show our vulnerability and to model how we deal with those stressors in our lives and they see us as being human? And not only human, they see us as fighting the battle. They see some of the tools we're using and they realize you can come through it rather than I got this. Nobody understands me. I'm different. There's no way out of this. You really don't care about this, all those kinds of things, uh, you know, and, and we we don't want to get them into a, a position where they can't live up to us or believe that no matter what they do, it's wrong and they're going to be told about it. And we have a tendency to either one way or another that we're too positive. Oh, you're wonderful on everything because we don't want to fight or you're what's wrong with you. You know, we have to we have to put those things together. We have to tell them what we feel when we think it's not right. And we have to tell them when they're doing a great job. Uh, you know, and again, we're back to we have to take care of ourselves first. We have to be healthy. We have to be able to want that safe place because you got to work for it. it. It doesn't just come. No, it's awkward, especially if we weren't raised that way ourselves, right. for sure, for part. sure. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about validation. So, you know, I'll just give a concrete example, a 10-year-old. Uh, young ladies coming home from school 
and screaming about something that they did or happened to them. And in the back of your mind going, you are kidding me. That's not the way I raised you. Why would you respond that way? But you don't say it. (laughs) How do we, how do we go about validating what our child is saying, even when we don't agree with it, or we want to teach them in a different way? (laughs) Two starting points. First, again, you're maintaining the eye contact and you're staying put. And the second thing is you're getting information. If, 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 if what's going through your head is what? I didn't raise you that way. You're already looking and going, <gasps> I, and they're going to pick that up. So you're not going to say that. You're just simply going to say, tell me more. Let's get a dialogue going. I'm going to ask you some questions. Uh, you're going to tell me some things I don't want to hear. I'm positive of that. We were raised, you know, anywhere from two to three, sometimes four decades differently, depending on what, when you have your children. Uh, so I don't know. And if you think that, uh, gee, I don't know, then good. Tell me. I'm listening. That's all you're doing. Yeah. You're putting them in a position where they must communicate with you. You're saying, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. But it's unspoken. But guess what? Neither are you. <laughs> and and at that point, do you say, what other choices might you have made, you know, and have them think about the other possibilities so they don't repeat that behavior that could, you know, potentially get themselves in trouble in the future? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. What did you do? Give me the information. So show me how you got from A to B to C to D. Okay. Along the line, were there a couple options, you know, and, and we're, we're always dealing with our emotions in these matters. And, uh, you know, again, the advice is, I I always call it I over E, your intellect over your emotion. Doesn't mean you don't get a chance to emote. You do. But slow your brain down a bit so you can get the facts. Mm -hmm. Then emote on on what's real rather than, oh, my God, where are they going? Oh, you did what? Because none of that is going to fix anything and none of it's going to set up that safe place. No, it actually puts a barrier between it. But we have become very reactionary as a as a society, oh, right? We just we just have. Woo, I got to tell you this. And this is my opinion. And you need to listen to it. And, oh. <laughs> and accept it. Yes. <laughs> and accept it. Yeah. Very reactionary. Okay. I want to jump over to uh, your book, Fix It Yourself Handbook. And I believe you're about to come out with part two. What's that all about, Foss? Well, the Fix Yourself Handbook came out, in t- I published in 2019. That's the one that had all the processes. I designed that book to stimulate a counseling session so people could understand what it was like. All the processes I use you know, and they're and they're basic. They're nothing, you know, uh, you know, so difficult to understand. Basic concepts, honesty, and getting your emotions in check, and slowing down, and you know, learning how not to people please, and anger, and all those things. They're all in there. And thirty six chapters, thirty six different processes, so you can apply them to anything in your life. So that book was in, in two thousand and nineteen. We were going to do a, a sequel to it, uh, uh, but then. As I looked after the pandemic, when we started writing the second book, we thought anxiety would be the way to go. So the new book is the Fix Your Anxiety Handbook uh, and designed to have people understand, you know, get the myths of anxiety out of the way. Let's look at exactly what this is, what the facts are and how we start moving through it. And what, what you find, believe it or not, is that anxiety is pretty much the same for kids and adults. They just we just express it a bit differently. We're more verbal. They're not as verbal. We have more uh, experiences, more things to draw on. They don't. And, and we don't do a good job. So, you know, get the information out. It was the key to that book. Uh, and we, we I, it, it uh, hit the shelves, so to speak, about a month ago. And it's doing quite well. I'm surprised. Uh, maybe I'm not, I shouldn't be surprised with anxiety at you know the levels it's at today. That's what people are looking for. Uh, but that, that that's you know, about a month. In, and, and using the same formats. Uh, all the books are going to use exactly the same format, small chapters, go right to the point, get the information, and then a, a, a section below that says, okay, based on this, these are all the things you have to do, four, five, six, seven points, whatever it may be. And that's what people are liking because they're getting the information, but I make it practical and usable. You can. Oh, yes. Put it oh, in congratulations. Back. Concrete. People want concrete. How to give me an example. Yeah. What What's an example of a myth about anxiety, Faust? A myth on anxiety. It starts in your brain, and then it, it's it's from all the all these extra things in your life. But my boss, this, my girlfriend, this. Anxiety starts in your body. That, you know, and that's where we're going to treat it first. It, you and you can feel it. it it's it, we have a nervous system. 
It goes through the body. It fires up. We, we go there. Then it hits the emotions and we go, oh my God, what if? And then our brain says, all right, I got to figure all this out. And now what am I looking at? Whatever the brain is thinking, that must be caused. By... So now we try to calm the brain down. The emotions in the body, we are full are still full throttle and we're trying to calm the brain down. It doesn't work. We get, we're defeated every time we try. We exhaust all the alternatives we think and nothing is left. So go to the doctor and get the medicine. Uh, you know, so in, in the end, what's the best that we could do? We treated some symptoms. We calmed the body down without ever fixing a darn thing. Well, we right. understand that our first order of business is to get the body. First of all, get it healthy. And now we're back to uh, the proactive stuff sleep properly, eat properly, stop putting uh, amphetamines all in your body and then saying, why do I have anxiety? You know, exercise if you can. Get, get your body healthy. It's what's carrying you through the world. People who have healthy bodies are less prone to anxiety. doesn't mean they don't get it, but they're less prone and the body's healthy enough to begin to fight against it. So we, we go physical. And if you think about it, if you if you and I are talking, you say, my God, I think I'm in a, 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 an anxiety attack. What should I do? What's the first thing I'm going to say? Slow down a minute. Catch your breath. Let's get your breathing in order. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's get you, you know, let, now we can move into whatever, meditate or yoga or do whatever you want to do. But let's get you to the point that your body goes down a bit. Now we start doing all the rest. Well, if we do that on a grand scale, if we do that all the time. And then we take our emotions and we say, okay, fine, I'm not going to react to this because my body's down. Now my brain can, has a whole lot less to work with in terms of symptoms and how, how, and it can, it can uh, uh, focus on a whole lot more information to help me do the right things. But I got to get my body mm. down first. Yeah, I love that you just mentioned breathing because I know. And so I'm going to go back to the proactive piece here. I know when I'm, a, when I'm going in front of an audience, I, I start to do the like, like. Yeah, we I, all do. Right, right. So when the person is about to introduce me, no one can see me in my seat, but I'm doing my deep breathing. And I don't care if people see me now. It doesn't matter to me. I do deep breathing. I know that this is something that will happen every single time. I have a strategy in place. I use it. I get up on the stage and I hope a rocket every time. <laughs> but but you're right. If, if your body is in a place of calm, then your mind can deal with what's happening right. and say, hold on. This is the choice I'm going to make rather than letting it take me over. And, and, and again, people will hear this and say, okay, I got to get my body down. And now they put pressure on themselves to get your body down. Calmly, it's a program you're going to put in place. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it if, takes time and it takes practice. It's it not a something if, overnight, right? If, if you start this and you can stay consistent, breathing exercises, calming down, uh, if you can meditate, whatever, and, and you do this every day faithfully for about a month, then you'll start to say, ah, now I'm getting it. Because the way the brain learns, uh, as you, I'm sure you know, as a teacher, it's repetition over time. That's how the brain, it doesn't just get it in the snap of your fingers. Repetition over time, the brain now learns new patterns and it starts using them. And then you start to feel it. But your brain has to learn how to deal with those, how to, how to use that information first. I've seen families doing deep breathing together, um, gone into kindergarten, all the way kindergarten, grade five, uh, up to secondary school and modeled deep breathing. And I'm, I'm not a clinician like you are. I'm, a, I'm, you know, I'm master's of ed teacher with a lot of experience. My, my niece, who's, my, who's a, my partner in crime here is a social worker. And boy, it makes a difference. But as you said, it's not just going in and doing it once. It's making that a regular practice. And deep breathing is only one of hundreds of different examples, which I'm sure you've got in your book of, of people to find a way uh, to get control of, of their lives. And, and it all works if you keep doing it. I mean, you know, I've always said to people, could you imagine if I didn't do any of these things I'm trying to teach you? And now you came and sat down with me to be counseling. I would probably talk over you. I'd be, I'd be jumping to conclusions. I wouldn't get all the information, uh, you know, and then eventually as a clinician, I'd burn out, but you walk in, you see me calm and, and they'll, and they'll, they'll remark on that. They'll say, how do you stay so calm when all these people are telling you all this insanity all the time? And that, that's what happens when you train your brain. The brain will get to the point that instead of reacting in 
pressure situations, it automatically decreases energy. You know, it's, you know, my, my wife will always say how that big bang just happened. We all got, and you just went like this. <laughs> my oh. brain, I, all, all these years I've been saying when this happens, I'm going to do the, the the opposite. When I hear that, I'm going to go that. When you tell me something startling, I'm going to say, okay, let's look at it. Because mm -hmm. I, I, not only am I helping you, I'm giving my chance, myself a chance, A, to deal with the situation, but I'm also putting me in a position so that I don't get crazy over something because I don't like those feelings. Um, you know, and people deal with that every day. So, you know, that's what you learn. I don't like feeling that way. So I'm going to do some other things. That's another big question. Is this the way you want to be in in a year, in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years? Mm -hmm. Think of anxiety as your whole person, your whole body, your mind, your emotions become overly sensitized. That's what's going on. So the obvious answer, what, what, you know, what do I want here is to desensitize. Mm -hmm. So in those pressure situations, those, you know, those high reactive situations to go the other way. And I, I like to, you know, Take that deep breath and take a step back because I don't want to be right in the moment, you know, right in the in, in the physical space where I heard it. Take a step back and then say this to myself. OK, that just happened. What do I want to do about it? So, you know, what, what have I done? I pulled my body down just a bit. I've slowed it down Two, I've gotten taken a step out of the situation. So I'm not in the quicksand for the moment. And then I've given my brain a chance to say. What do we want to do? Let's get some intellectual information here. So I put myself in a position to do something that makes some sense. Now, what I just told you, go back to when we were kids and mom used to say, count to 10 before you. <laughs> True. It's real. Yeah. So what we do in the first three to five seconds will dictate how we handle the situation. So those first three or four, four or five session, seconds to me are very important. I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to give myself a chance to think. And then with my emotions down a little bit, you know, breathing, get down, breathing helps the emotions go down a little bit too. And, and the other thing is think about, I use an example, Facebook, someone posts something and it's mm. just what you don't like. What do you, bull, you get, you know, and then you hit some, you've already <laughs> 24 done hour it. Rule. So yeah. I didn't think about it. So what did I do? I Calm down. Mm. I didn't get my emotions in there. So I took my emotions down. They didn't react. I walked away and said, A, do I really want to and need to respond to this? And B, if I do, what do I want to do? Now, I didn't respond in a second or two. I've taken a step back. I've given that wonderful neurological machine of mine a chance to do its thing. <laughs> And I didn't flood it with emotions because emotions are like a virus to the way your your brain can work. It just comes in and overpowers everything. Mm -hmm. So all my energy, which would have gone to emotion, gets to go to my brain. And I say, do I want to do that? And what are my other choices? And what are and that's the next snooze, step. unfriend, not follow, all kinds of those things. Whatever I just want to jump be. in because exactly. I think what you're saying about Facebook applies to a lot of things. And in my profession, I learned right from the get-go, whoa, because things will set you off all the time, right? I sometimes will type an email or a response and it sits for 24 hours. And me, so do and, I. And 10 times out of 10, it does not get sent the way it was typed. <laughs> it, or it gets doesn't get sent at all. It's a telephone call. It's another way of communication. It's whatever. But but it is about training ourselves to say, I am not reacting in this moment. I love what the, you just shared. And the next step is that one gets me to not do the negative. But then the next part is, how can I give the most powerful version of myself in the next breath? It's not with emotions and calling people names. It's not with uh, getting anxious and screaming and yelling that none of that's And then now I've got to, you know, go back and fix that. Uh, what, how can I take that step back, look at the options I have and deliver the most appropriate, powerful statement that I'm capable of offering? I can't do that when my body and my is going fast and my heart's beating and my emotions are screaming and the what ifs and I, I'll kill you and all those things that we, I take a step back and I'm going to say, okay, let me strategize for a moment. Mm -hmm. What do I want to do? 
that's that, that that question how do i want to handle this what do i want to do however you want to ask it that's it's such a powerful question because now we're talking about intellect working emotions put on the back burner i have options and guess what i can see them i couldn't see them when i was reacting i was because i was already in action i was already in reactive modes i was already moving i already i already my my emotions already decided what i was going to do Mm-hmm. Now, tying that into anxiety, if we do that all the time, we always remain at an elevated and accelerated physical, emotional state. So our bodies are getting beat up. We invite more diseases. We invite more, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just horrible times into our life. So I phase that part out of my life, or at least I reduce it. I'm not reactive as much as I used to. My anxiety goes down. Mm-hmm. And you're setting a wonderful example for your children. Exactly. And, you're, and then and then you can find the time to be present and calm and listening and open up those doors of communication on a regular basis. Exactly. And that initial reaction when we is, is our bodies really, if you look, you take your brain out of the most out of the picture, it's your body saying, this is in me. I got to get it out of me. So we react and scream. And a lot of us will say, oh, I better when I vent it all out. Now I feel better. No, you didn't because you hurt this person. Now you got to fix this and the collateral damage here and what you broke or whatever it may be. Uh, so we don't have that. Now a tornado. <laughs> we, back, right, we backed up and said, what do I want to do with this? Guess what? We're getting it out. And we offer uh, ourselves another possibility, which we didn't think about. We get to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Ah. You know, you hurt me when you said that. This really made me angry. And I need to talk to you about that. We give other options. And it doesn't matter what the person says. We we often hold it in or scream and yell because we know they're going to. We can't control them. Only control what we do. And the goal is to make us feel better. And then we walk away saying, I handled that pretty well. I can do this. Let me do it again. That's beautiful. And I love the concrete example of how emotions are taking over and how we can we can take charge and pull that back. All right, Faust, how can people reach you? The best way to reach me, uh, Lynn, is on my uh, uh, website, www.faustrogero.com. My name or type my name in uh, Google search. It'll bring you to the website, everything about me, the books, examples of what's written in the book so they can see what uh, how I do things. That's all there contact links, everything, even counseling links, whatever they want. Everything is on my website, falsprogero.com. And I'm going to spell your last name for you for our listeners. It's R-U-G-G-I-E-R-O. <laughs> Thanks so much. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Now, if you're frustrated daily because you can't connect with a child who is out of control or defiant, join us next week with Ginny Luther. She's experienced crises in her life that are unimaginable and has now authored her new book called Blue Star Grit, a mother's journey of triumph and tragedy, raising a defiant child into an exceptional leader. How many of us are shooting our children? Ginny's going to share with us how peaceful parenting does come with consequences and we do not give up our limits. We'll talk about how we can be assertive, set boundaries, and be kind and firm at the same time. And we close every week by saying, let's check our compass and learn what we need to so we can empower our children to face those ups and downs of life, which are surely going to come. Have a safe and healthy week, everyone. Thanks for tuning into today's episode of Taking the Helm. We hope that Lynn and her guests have provided valuable insights on how to create a safe emotional space for your children that empowers them to be their best selves. Until we talk again, have a wonderful week.